workforce and workplace norms are shaped as much by popularized portrayals as they are by our lived experiences. From sensational headlines, like The Great Resignation, to successful series, like The Office and Silicon Valley, to skits and stories shared on our social media feeds, what we see shapes what we believe. Let's go behind the scenes to discover what's new now and next in the world of work, and we'll challenge the traditions of what it means to live well and to work well. This is Success From Anywhere. Today on Success From Anywhere, we'll discover the secret to sustainable workforce diversity and how to mitigate the risks of transient talent from a CEO who's literally invested three decades in discovering what counts. Please join me in welcoming to the show the former global advisory and consulting CEO for PricewaterhouseCoopers and current CEO of MBO Partners, Miles Everson. Welcome to the show, Miles. Great. Thanks, Karen. Lovely to be here today. I'm looking forward to our discussion. Because we are talking about the world of work, I like to ask each guest, what was your first paid nine to five job and how did that job influence your career trajectory? My first paid nine to five, so my first full-time job was actually with PricewaterhouseCoopers or Coopers and Librand at the time, um, back a few decades ago. Um, my first job, though, was working for my father in his family business. Uh, so I started young and have kind of just continued, I guess, would be a good way to describe it. So what was the family? Work. Yeah, what was the family business? Uh, in a poultry shop in Jamestown, North Dakota. So I've, I've come a long way from my days of North Dakota. Hey, given the supply chain issues currently, you, you might take that up as your side hustle. <laughs> That's right. You got that right. So it's, it's very good. So I was thinking back to my first experience with MBO partners, and it was when I was a senior leader at Cisco. And you were an important part of us having access to a flexible workforce. And in my team, we partnered with you closely to make sure we had enough talent to listen to our customers you know when we were bringing new products to market and you know having the right people at the right time to meet customer demand your business may be newer to some of our listeners so tell us just a little bit more about mbo partners as a whole yeah so what what we do at mbo partners is we we really make it possible for enterprises to access what is an increasingly large portion of the U.S. and global workforce, which are people who are choosing to be independent professionals. And so when I, when I think about it from the independent professional side, these are people that have decided to go be effectively entrepreneurs and run their own business. Sometimes it's a solo entrepreneur. Sometimes they run small professional services firms. And so they kind of come in multiple, you know, shapes and sizes, and we love that. Um, you know, what we're trying to do is just make it easier for people to find a way to do what they really love to do and for enterprises to access that segment of the workforce. Um, so it, it's actually quite rewarding because it's, it's beneficial to both sides, if you will, the, the talent or the 
professional as well as to the enterprise. So, by the way, Cisco continues to be a great customer. So, thanks for setting the foundation. <laughs> for us, you know, in our team, we were a center of excellence, and that contract workforce helped us, you know, expand and contract and shift skills, you know, very easily. And I like what you said there about entrepreneurship. I mean, framing the thought of being in an independent workforce, even if you ultimately contract through a company as large as yours, as an entrepreneurial choice, sometimes I think we hold these myths or misconceptions that people who are doing contract work, you know, aren't serious about their careers, or it was the default because something else doesn't work out. What other myths and misconceptions might people hold about a contractor flexible workforce that are stopping them short of addressing the talent challenges in their own organizations? So I think the, the biggest myth, or I would call it blind spot for companies, is they have this, some people, it's, it's always dangerous to paint things with a unilateral brush, but in many cases, there's this perception or myth that in order for me as a company to establish and maintain you know, institutional knowledge in my organization, I need to have all full-time employees. That was the case three decades ago. That, but those days are over, okay? And the reason they're over is the duration for which people stay as full-time employees at companies has dropped dramatically. So if you're under 45 in the United States, you change companies every 4.1 years. And if you're under 35, you change every three years. So by definition, you don't have institutional knowledge base in your full-time workforce the way you used to. So having contractors or professionals that might work 500, 1,000, sometimes 2,000 hours a year on projects in your company, and they'll do that for 20 or 30 years, you actually can create more institutional knowledge of what you've done to create the company you have through the independent workforce. And it's, it's contraintuitive, but it's not the employer's choice anymore. It's the worker's choice. The balance of power has shifted to the worker. Because we have, despite all this automation and AI and et cetera, we have a human capital scarcity issue, not an excess of human capital when it comes to the work to be done. And let's talk about a little of the tension that exists around those words you used of institutional knowledge. I mean, I can recall getting these detailed messages of, well, this kind of a town hall meeting is appropriate for a contractor or not. This is only for the full-time workforce. And I find sometimes organizations stop short of engaging a more flexible workforce because of concerns about intellectual property, knowledge transfer risk, what would you say yeah. to those organizations? There's been far more leaks or loss of intellectual property from the full-time workforce than there has been from independents. Like when, when you think of privacy breaches, you think of stolen secrets, et cetera, much, much more has been stolen by full-time workforce than by independents. That, that's not even, a, it's not even a comparable comparison. It, that's what, that's another big myth. I'm sorry, go ahead, Karen, yeah. No, you go. Tell us about the myth. It, 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 well, it's, it's a myth because even most of the most significant security breaches occur from an insider, from an insider, a full-time worker, 
Okay, and look, when somebody, if somebody's going to do something like that, that is dishonorable, that is illegal, et cetera, it doesn't matter the contractual arrangement you have with them in terms of their act of doing it. Your contractual arrangement just gives you what you can enforce after the act has been done. And interestingly enough, you have more action you can take against a contractor than you can an employee that's a full-time employee. You can actually get better protections out of this. I've spent countless hours with attorneys going over this point in terms of, because it's illegitimate. I understand why people ask the question. I'm not dismissing the question, but there needs to be more education on why what I'm saying is, is, is that the traditional thinking is a myth and there's an opportunity. And the thing about the opportunity is companies are not going to have a choice. Today, in the United States, 28% of companies' workforce is independent contractors. That is growing in excess of 20% a year. It's not the company's choice. And th the reason I say it's not the choice is there's, there's a number of reasons. But if you go back to 1980, for private companies in this company, two-thirds of their workers, so private workers, employees, had defined benefit plans. Today, it's less than 10%. Corporate America broke the promise that said, I will take care of you for your career and post-career. It's over. When that promise got broken, and you combine that with what has come into people's consumer life on mobility, freedom of choice, freedom of control of what I do, all that has contributed to people saying, well, now, and when it comes to my work and my career, I'm going to take control of it. I'm not going to leave it up to an individual company or an individual manager that I report to. It's mine. I'm going to have the freedom to do what I want when I want to do it. And that, that's not going to get turned back. The ship has sailed. <laughs> we do bring our consumer experiences into our corporate and career expectations. And normally this comes up in the context of something like simplifying a user experience or a contracting process, right? People will talk about the Amazon experience. You're highlighting something powerful about how it affects our perception of promises and this very human desire for flexibility, autonomy, and choice. And when you and I first met for the Authority Magazine interview, you said something that sticks with me about the mindset shift that we need. You said, employers must embrace employees as workers in a workforce, not just as employees of their company. I mean, what's it gonna take for organizations to make that kind of a mindset shift? And when we do, how do we need to operate and engage with our workforces differently? Yeah, look, I, I think there's some companies that are making it or have, have made that shift, right? So in the work that I've done in looking at the companies that get a superior valuation in their sector. They have a lot higher relative share of independent workers to full-time than their peers. And I'm not suggesting that that's causal, but I think there's correlation. It's a mindset of how you operate and run your company, right? And so, you know, when I think of, this is more prognosis on my point now, but, you know, with, the, with COVID, what COVID did is it didn't change the trend that was moving towards independent work but it accelerated the movement because it accelerated 
the acceptance of remote work. Okay, and so there's correlation between remote work and the use of independence. But when you when you start thinking of remote work, in my opinion, you have to factor in, well, I've also now have a workforce that by definition is more isolated from the rest of their coworkers. And two important points here. Back in the days from the Gallup organization, who may have the most research and data on the workforce and why people stay at jobs, et cetera, the number one reason people stay at companies is because they don't want to let their friends down. Every company does exit interviews. They ask the people leaving why they leave. They don't ask the people who stay why they stay. If they did, they would find out that they stay because they want to be with their friends. Okay, well, when you isolate people, we have people in the workforce today that have never really gone to the office. They've only known working remotely. And isolation creates a, a connectivity problem, which I believe then says, well, how am I going to create an environment that gives people an opportunity to become fulfilled and have purpose? Not just company purpose, personal purpose. And this is where the organizational and operating models of companies needs to change to be much more project purpose, sh short-term purpose, and project outcome-based. So you can get a sense of achievement and fulfillment. So I'm not just doing a role. I'm achieving and creating outcomes or successes that are rewarding. And you'll see that um, I believe that you know the millennials and even more so Gen Zs have started to embrace the idea that I'm not going to wait 30 years to define my career. I want my career defined by the successes that I'm having along the way. And that's why we're going to go to this project-based, more outcome-based operating models for companies. And we're seeing, I mean, we're seeing it happen today um, in a number of companies in, you know, different areas. You know, you, you certainly see in the world of creatives. Creatives absolutely focus on what's their portfolio of impact that they've had for others, not what their, their title or role was. It's what did they create and what kind of impact are they having. What can you create and what kind of impact are you having? I think those are great questions. And you highlighted this thought about isolation. And this is a pervasive topic for people who are working in a home or distributed office, whether they are a full-time employee in the traditional sense or working as a contract worker. What strategies do you deploy or how do you coach this largely contingent contracted workforce that you support with strategies to combat that isolation, loneliness, and finding a sense of purpose in what you do when you might work for a variety of different companies and for a variety of different teams. Yeah, I, um, I sarcastically said when I came to MBO to a client one day, I said, I can tell you who your independents are in your company. We'll just go to the cafeteria. They'll be the people sitting by themselves. <laughs> That's a great test. <laughs> because there's this kind of inherent bias of we have full-time employees and we have independents and they kind of are two, they're on two different teams. Mm -hmm. um, now that's changed in a number of companies, but that, that is, that's part of it. So I think part of it is embracing the independent 
you know, look, it's, it's applying the rule that says I'll treat others the way that I would like to be treated. Um, and it's, in, it's engaging them in the, in the discussions. I mean, it's letting them know when one of their team members is having a life event. Um, so you send the email that says, you know, so-and-so had a, is getting married next weekend, and you send it to everyone on the team except the three independents on the team. Like, that's a problem. Those kind of communications can be shared easily and should be shared easily. Um, because the other thing that, you know, you talked about myths earlier, Karen, um, people go through seasons, and those seasons are frequently driven by their life events, but they spill over into their career. Um, so they might want to be a full-time employee. They might decide they want to be an independent. They might come back and be a full-time someone. So, and we embrace that, you know, at MBO, we think that's great. Like, that's called life and the way things work. And so if we can be helpful to individuals to facilitate that kind of change in seasons during their life, that's fantastic. Companies just need to be prepared to embrace that, um, not just for their full-time workforce, but for their total workforce. Otherwise, they're going to sell themselves short in terms of access to high-quality resources. Your story reminds me of a friend I was just having dinner with, and she unexpectedly reached a crossroads at barely a moment's notice of a parent needing care, and she didn't see it coming. She got kind of the emergency phone call, and we were having this conversation of being at a career crossroads of, can I really sustain the kind of work I'm doing now and be present for a parent? who really needs me and, and how's this going to work? So I like what you said about seasons of life. And we've all had a season of life together with the pandemic and what you're doing with your workforce, my sense is you probably have an incredibly diverse talent pool available to organizations. And yet I still watch organizations struggling and they'll ask me questions like, well, there's, where did all the women go? There's no women working or there's, you know, we're struggling with, you know, people of color, underrepresented minorities. What will it take for us as organizations to make the shift to see this as a strategy, engaging a contract workforce as a way to bring diversity into our organizations? Well, you know, it's interesting because at the start of the pandemic, the largest exodus of full-time workers out of the workforce was was women on a percentage basis. But the largest percentage of increase in the number of independents is women. I mean, it's, Why it's, does this seem to be such a well-kept <laughs> secret? Because I, I literally looked at a CEO of a large company and he just said, well, we can't hire any women. Women aren't working anymore. And I said, women are working. They just aren't working for you. So maybe the better question is, why is that? And where do we need to look differently to access this more diverse talent pool? It's not that everyone unilaterally stopped working. They, they didn't. Um, they just changed the form in which they decide to engage with companies. Um, I mean, I'll make a statement that I would actually say that if you want somebody who's extremely proficient and efficient is, I hope this is not inappropriate, have a woman who's trying to run a household with a few kids in it, and they'll be one of the most efficient workers you'll ever come across. Because they don't have a choice. 
Okay, now you can probably say the same thing for men that are doing that, in fairness. But it's just, if we're honest, more often than not, the woman carries more of the burden. Um, or, or the, I don't know if it's a burden to raise your kids. Like, it's not, but more of the responsibility. Takes on more of that household responsibility. Um, I've seen it, you know, over my 30 years of work, like, most efficient execution is when you have people that are there and focused in doing what needs to be done. And they have other things that are important to them in their life. Did you know that 68% of workers say a hybrid workplace is their preference? Make hybrid work for everyone with Robin. Robin is the industry-leading flexible workplace platform for connecting people with rooms, desks, and each other. We've helped companies like Peloton, Toyota, and Hulu build better workplace experiences. Plus, we integrate with the tools you already know and love. To learn more about how we make flexible work a reality, visit www.robinpowered.com. And you talk about being on a mission to combat system bias inside yeah. of organizations. Tell us what that is. It, I think it's yeah. kind of related to what we're talking about here. So, so here, here's what I think is kind of, it's ironically humorous. Um, companies go out and say, we're going to, we support diversity. We're going to... Um, we're going to hire diverse people, however they define that, across multitudes of um, considerations. And then the first thing they do is they send everybody to a, a training class to standardize them. <laughs> I went to Catholic school, so I'm just picturing the minute where you get the uniform. And so now I'm like, you go to training, and they're like, you will not belong. You will blend. And here is the, you know, corporate program where we send you through. And on the other side, you come out with the equivalent of, you know, the corporate uniform. That's exactly right. So the way I think about it, and I'm not a psychologist, right? So I should preempt my comments. I think it's about finding people that have, you know, relatively and largely a common set of, like, human values. And they embrace a common set of behaviors. And if they behave consistent, when I say behave consistently, it's they're behaving, they believe this inconsistent behaviors, okay? And so one of the behaviors might be that I believe every voice in the room should have a voice and it should be their voice, not just a voice of agreement. That's a behavior that we embrace, certainly at MBO, that I want to hear those differing views. That's embracing diversity. In my, that's one example of embracing some diversity is what I'm saying. When it's this, you must embrace the methods that we use. Then you're more rules-based than values and behavior-based. And so I, I think that successful companies figure out how to put more emphasis on values and behaviors and less emphasis on rules. And it's when you get this breakdown of values and behaviors that people will default to putting in more rules, and that's just a deep spin cycle into a dysfunctional company. I'm curious. You're a CEO. You're a visible leader. You know, you have your newsletter, I think it is, that comes out on Fridays where you're highlighting values and beliefs and relationships. As a CEO, how do you make time to reflect on your values or what might need to be reconsidered? I mean, how do you create space for that? And then 
How do you communicate and shift your own organization when you realize something might be out of alignment that starts with you as a leader? So I guess the, the, per, the first thing would be is to appreciate and understand that, that, you know, I or any other person, CEO or not, you know, we're perfectly imperfect, okay? So to make sure that we understand that, you know, we, we're not perfect either in embracing the fact that we can always continue to do better and get better. But I think it's the, I'm in, I would inverse the way you asked the question is interesting because I think by having the values and behaviors is what creates the space and the capacity. I don't have to spend a lot of time making transactional decisioning when you have a set of beliefs and behaviors. And so in MBO, we have the, our behaviors and then we have our principles of success. And the principles of success guide us in transactional decisioning and the behaviors guide us in the environmental and the what will create our culture. Because culture is an output of your behaviors. It's not what you put on a piece of paper. Okay. What you put on the paper is aspirational, what you'd like it to be, but what it really is is the culmination of the behaviors that happen every day. And so I, I think when you get those down, it gives you the capacity to say, yes or no, if you will, in terms of where you're going to spend your energy, much, much quicker. Because some things you just say, no, we don't do that. That's not, that's not what we do. So that's, we, we'll move on um, very yeah, quickly. It's like values are your guide, principles are the operating manual. And what you highlighted there is when you are clear individually and collectively about your values and principles, you have a filter to prioritize instantly what you say yes and no to without having to put a lot of thought or have a lot of meetings in the moment. It's already sort of pre-decided. Pre-decided, yeah. Um, and we, we weekly, at least within MBO, we share examples of where the behaviors and the principles of success are being applied either successfully or unsuccessfully in the company. That we is a powerful practice. That's a powerful yeah. practice. Yeah. Well, we were talking earlier, you referenced Gallup. I know you do some of your own research and your newest research revealed that independent workers are happier, healthier, and this part shocked me, wealthier than their yeah. traditionally employed counterparts. In fact, your research said 68% feel more financially secure. How is that possible? It strikes me as a paradox that you are working independently and have never felt more financially secure. That doesn't always go together for people. Correct. And so here's, here's how I think about it is that there's, you know, in the world of finance, there's the concept of portfolio diversification. And so if you look at it from a downside risk perspective, if I'm a successful, i.e. competent and relevant independent professional, and I can create a half dozen income streams from different companies, I am no longer captive to one manager deciding that I'm the person that's getting laid off on Friday. I might lose one project, but I'm not going to lose all six at the same time. Mm. 
And you're not beholden to that annual performance review and the raise that goes with your ranking either. You're not. And if you're good at what you do, the market has been become sufficiently liquid. If you, you know, over 28% of the workforce is independent. It's a liquid market. If you're really good at what you do, you can get paid a fair price for what you do. And um, many of the independent professionals are very, I talked about, you know, proficient, efficient earlier, are very productive people. They're not time wasters. And so they're productive at what they do. And so their net return on the time they're spending is high. But in addition, they've diversified this income stream. So they're, they're not really concerned about the downside because it, there is less downside by definition. <laughs> Um, especially when you go back to my point about, you know, it, it's in private industry, the idea of a defined benefit plan is almost completely disappeared. Only 10% of private companies have them anymore. So nobody's taking care of you post-retirement. You better take care of yourself. So all of the financial planning, so part of the reason they're wealthier is that their financial acumen has to be higher. They have to know how they're going to feed the family next week. Where's that money coming from? Like, it's not just that they're going to get their paycheck. They have to go get another contract signed. Okay, and so that, that creates a discipline and a set of behaviors that's very well suited to help drive your financial wealth. And so I, I'm not surprised by it when you sit back and reflect on it. And I think maybe... One of the key things in this, um, Karen, is that part of the reason this has happened is increasingly more people are becoming independent by choice instead of by happenstance or by circumstance. They're just choosing to be independent professionals. And when they do that, um, they can create those income diverse, you know, diversified income streams by choice. That's such a great phrase. And because we are talking about, you know, evolving how we see our workforce and metrics and measures, what are some of the measures you would encourage employers or organizations to put in place now to measure the effectiveness of their workforce? I mean, how do we measure what matters now as the definition of a worker or an employee continues to evolve? Um, Well, the first the first thing is, is I think they need to be getting feedback from all of their resource pool. So when I say their resource pool, the, the human capital that's needed to power their business, whether it's a full-time employee, whether it's a third-party services firm, whether it's independent professionals, and what do each of those constituents or cohorts think of the company, what's their experience with the company. And my challenge to an organization would be, why are you potentially either knowingly or unknowingly choosing to want higher engagement, higher loyalty, higher satisfaction from one cohort than another? Okay, because with the employees, a lot had been done for employee satisfaction, employee programs, I think that's great. I'm not disparaging that at all. When it comes to non-employees, though, there has been, for many companies, a mindset of transactional and 
I'm the customer, you're the vendor, and I will dictate to you. Instead of we are partners in a transactional arrangement, and I want you to be happy and productive when you're doing work with me or for me, not just that you're doing it because I and I'm going to use a contractual lever or a, you know, a, a behavioral system on you that is punitive or not so friendly. To be, I'm being polite right now, frankly. <laughs> and all humans prefer and respond better to meaning over mandates. Hundred percent. Right? You know, anytime someone says, "I'm going to tell you what to do," right? We right. all have this thing that rises up inside and goes, you can't make me, right? It puts us in this mindset of win, lose, us, them, and we lose our humanity in that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, when I do talks, I talk about the fractionalization of everything. And one of the things that's being fractionalized um, is trust. And so people increasingly have less trust in central authorities. Okay, so I we haven't talked about this, but I bet I'm going to be right here. If you're going to try to understand what restaurant to go to, are you going to go look for a food critic's article or are you going to Yelp? I mean, probably Yelp. Probably Yelp. Okay. And when you ask people again, back to the Gallup, back to Gallup, Gallup has done this for like I don't know, 25. 30 years, do you like the government you have? Do you trust the government you have? No. People don't trust central authorities, and it's getting increasingly that way. And so if your strategy is to take, I am the central authority, and I will tell you what to do and how to do it, you are creating a massive distrust in the constituencies around you, whether they're full-time employees, independents, or not. And so having a much more open and um, feedback loops from all of the constituents, if you will, or citizens of the ecosystem is so important. And I think companies need to embrace that type of feedback and not just doing it, but then understanding what it's telling you, sharing with them what you've heard, because people like to know that they've been heard. And sometimes you just need to say, I've heard you and I'm just or we're just not in a position to do what you'd like us to do. That is better than ignoring it. When your mission or vision statement includes people first, that right. should be regardless of how you hit the payroll. That's exactly what I'm right. hearing you say. Well, something we've been talking about is human connection and I like to do a virtual water cooler segment on the show because people say they miss these spontaneous conversations, your independence in the cafeteria notwithstanding. So are you up for a quick five questions that you and I might be able to discuss around any water cooler in any company in the world? Sure, of course. All right, first up, when do you do your best work? What time of day? My, um, my best um, structural work, in other words, the work that I need to get done is in the first thing in the morning. Um, my best creative work is actually later in the afternoon. If there were no dress code for work, what would you wear? <laughs> well, we, we don't have much of a dress code here at MBO, so I, I usually have on a t-shirt like this. Um, and I, I, I live and work in Austin, Texas, so it's pretty common to see me in shorts and flip-flops 
um, at work. Um, as, as you're I you're only missing this. the breakfast taco. Yeah, that's, that's right. And, and, and I skipped that for health reasons. Right. So you're not frequenting one in a million or torchies? No, 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 definitely not. No. Um, on occasion, but no, not in the morning for sure. So. What's the part of your daily routine you most look forward to? Oh, that's my, my first thing in the morning, my, uh, my workout. Awesome. So, if you yeah, could I, do any job in the world, maybe you become a contractor at MBO, but if you could do any job in the world, what would you do? Um, I, you know, candidly, I kind of feel like I'm, I'm doing it. And I'm not saying that just, you know, look, I, I had the, the firm I was with, you know, PricewaterhouseCoopers is an absolutely fantastic firm, you know, and I left there. Uh, when I was the vice chairman running a big piece of the business with, you know, I say running it, um, some days I think it was running me. Um, but, you know, with just fantastic people, and I left it to go pursue this thing here that, you know, because I, I believed in what was happening in terms of the broad workforce. You know, this started with me well before I was left PwC. And so, you know, I'm really working on my passion right now of making it possible for more and more people to do what they want. And there's, there's a, there's a, there's a, like a little thread, um, you know, of I'll say the American dream in here for me, because this country was built by entrepreneurs that took a chance to go build businesses and small businesses built this country and small families that went and did farms built this country. And I just, I think it's important to embrace that individualism and let people have their own identity and go do what they want to do. And so if we can have some small or a big part in that, that's fantastic. So like I, I feel like that's what I'm doing. So I, I, I don't know that there's anything I would be happier doing. Well, now imagine there are 25 hours in the day instead of 24. What are you doing with your extra hour? Um, Probably sleeping, <laughs> good, good because you. because I only get about six hours to seven hours of sleep a night, and it's one of the things I'm uh, things I'm working on is getting more more sleep, like another hour of sleep a day. I love that you would invest in rest, Miles. Yeah. Where can listeners connect with you? And we'll start there. Where can people yeah. find you and your your expertise? Well, they can certainly find me at mbopartners.com. And um, fortunately, I've spent enough time in the airways. If you Google Miles Everson, you will find me pretty quickly on any of the social media platforms and, you know, directly on email and stuff. And so I welcome any and all feedback, by the way. I think feedback's a gift. Uh, so. Last question for you. What do you want your workforce legacy to be? Yeah, I... If, if I can help make it possible for both people being workers and companies to become more fulfilled, okay, there's a lot of talk these days about purpose, but at times I think, and it's just a personal view, that purpose is a bit force-fed. I think what's important is for people when they put their head on their pillow at night to say, today was a fulfilling day for me, for me. 
Not that it was fulfilling for my boss or for anybody else, but it was a fulfilling day for me. And when you can help more people do that, that's a good day. Independent by choice, invest in rest, and people are people. The employee experience is a great one when you treat people with equity and dignity regardless of how they show up on your payroll. Thank you so much to Miles Everson, CEO of MBO Partners, for highlighting that happiness is for hire today on Success From Anywhere because success is not a destination, success is not a location, success is available to anyone, anywhere, anytime.